I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, the Mason Anthony's Monday podcast. I am Steve Seifer, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing this week? All right. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. So let's start with some promote, extend, trade. And this one's a little... <laughs> this one goes in a couple of directions here, but... Oh, on, good. <laughs> on today's date in 1941... Operation Barbarossa began, and Operation Barbarossa, of course, was Hitler's invasion of the Soviet Union. And Hitler fell victim to one of the classic blunders, never get involved in a land war in Asia. Yep. Now, a slightly less well-known classic blunder is to never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, of these three Sicilians, who would you put, uh, put them in order of who would you want to have your back in a fight? where death is on the line. So we have Archimedes, who I did not know is Sicilian, but he is indeed Sicilian. We have Steve Buscemi, and we have Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Shit. Well, it has to be Archimedes. <laughs> I don't know, Steve Buscemi is a pretty cool dude. That's fair. <laughs> I think everyone here is getting rid of Cuomo, trading him right out the door. Yes, he definitely was like... A wannabe tough guy cuisine in his youth and, you know, that's not any what, you know, not, not anything reality of what he actually is. 
Cuomo's definitely the kind of guy to say gabagool, so I don't know if that moves the needle at all. <laughs> then again, Archimedes had like, like most people when they think of Archimedes are just going to think of the whole buoyancy thing. Oh, I got in a bathtub and displaced water and then I had a eureka moment about why some things float. But the dude like also invented a heat ray based yes. on mirrors and the sun. He also, I did not know, he also had another siege weapon, the Claw of Archimedes. Uh-huh, yep. Uh, basically just a whole bunch of crazy-ass old-school devices to defend Syracuse from early Roman ships. Uh, though very much like Tesla's death ray, they probably didn't actually work, but that's not important. It's a thought that counts, really. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think you're right, Thomas. Archimedes got to be the the extent. Yeah, I feel like he's the slam dunk extent. Mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi, though, like was a firefighter, went to act, came back after nine eleven to serve as a firefighter without making a huge PR stunt out of it. Like, seems like a pretty cool dude in general. Oh, I'm he's about to get promoted. Yeah, I'm about to get canceled because he's probably done something awful that I just don't know about, so. <laughs> yeah, to the, for the record, I do not know if he has done anything either. Steve Buscemi canceled. <laughs> I hope nothing comes up. Yeah, right. Nothing, I, I, nothing has come up for Steve Buscemi being canceled. I hope All right, not well, that's you. good. <laughs> so yeah, definitely Archimedes will keep Buscemi and get rid of Cuomo. Yep. What are we doing with Chris? Oh, who cares? <laughs> Give the whole family the boot. Give the whole family the claw of Archimedes. There you go. There you go. That's that's what we really need. All right. Uh, head over to Taiwan now, and we'll have some CPBL updates. Uh, the Uni Lions went 2-5 and five this week, and that brings them to 19-26 and 26 on the season. So, yes, still not yes, that good. Very good. Good, good. <laughs> good team for us Met fans to root for, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's she, nothing like home. Yeah. Um, Chi Su, who uh, has been hitter of the week a few times now, he is again the hitter of the week this week. He went... 10 for 17 with four home runs, nine RBI, three walks, and four strikeouts. So that'll work. And that brings him to 18 homers for the year. And he actually has a pretty good shot of breaking the league record, which is 39. So he is about halfway there. And there are still a few more months of the year to go, uh, of the season to go. So, so, so here's the real question in terms of, of Mets relevancy, right? How much longer is there in the, the, their season? So they played. Going until October. Games. All right, so they played 45 games. They probably play something like 120 or so. Yes. Yeah. So they'll be middling for another 35, maybe 40 games, roughly. And then, and then some minor coach will get fired. They'll look good for the last half of the season to give everyone hope for next year and encourage management to change nothing going into the off season. And then we'll do it all again next year. You know, so. We Lucas, take... that was a little suspe- uh, <laughs> specific. I wonder if you have any uh, ideas that you've based that off of. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, I'm not basing that off of like the last uh, decade of Mets performances or anything like that. No, not at all. Mm. 
suddenly, hey, we're a good team in August and September. Don't worry about those first four months where we were bottom five. Sometimes well, they start strong. Yeah, yeah. Usually there's like that initial 10, 10 and two start, and, and then it's just bad for three months. There's only four teams in the league, so luckily they can't uh, end in fifth. Yeah. Well, they're bottom five regardless, I guess. Um, yeah, well, Sue is having a good year. And the pitcher of the week, he was also pitcher of the week last week, uh, is Josh Renicky. And he pitched seven scoreless innings this week. He allowed five hits. He didn't walk anyone, and he struck out five. So that's good nice. enough. You'll take it. Yep. What are the strikeout numbers like in this league again? I, I've forgotten off the top of my head. Uh, widely vary. Um, okay. I mean, he Josh Renicky is a pretty solid pitcher. His strikeout rate is not very high. Mm. And um, Logan Darnell, who actually just pitched today or technically tomorrow, I, I don't really know. I mean. <laughs> It's it's Taiwan's. They're like twenty hours ahead of us. But um, he he just struck out like ten guys today. So it's can be kind of crazy. Um, over to South Korea now. The LG Twins. They went four and two, and they are twenty five and fifteen for the year. And the hitter of the week is Jihwon Oh, and he went eleven for twenty three with two doubles. Six RBI, two walks, four strikeouts, a hit by pitch, and a stolen base. Nice. And o is the Twins' starting shortstop. He is considered one of, if not the best, defensive shortstops in the KBO. He was drafted in 2009, and he became their full-time starter in 2010. And he's been a solid contributor ever since. Uh, he makes a lot of errors. But that's about the only thing that he does poor defensively because he has a lot of range. He has a real strong arm and all the advanced metrics, you know, that value more than just kind of boneheaded errors. They like him. So could call he, him the anti-jeter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, yeah. He's he's I mean, Jeter is a little bit more of a uh, offensive guy than O is. He's, you know, O isn't exactly a glove only player, um, but. You know, his best days with the batter a few few years ago now, and he's more of just kind of like a solid, uh, a solid like table setter rather than a guy that can carry the team or anything like that. Well, I mean, like Jeter a, was a bat first shortstop, so you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeter was the second best shortstop on his own team. Yeah, that is it's, very true. It, the craziest thing to me about this is the drafted in 2009, starting in 2010 thing. Like that's funny. oh yeah. Yeah, that's always yeah, fun. Yeah, there's, there's real, I mean, uh, in Japan, which we'll get to in a little bit, um, but in Japan, they do let guys maturate a little bit in the minors. They do have two kind of organized minor leagues. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Korea and Taiwan, it's really, you just get thrown into the fire. Either you're good enough in high school to just go directly, or you go to college, and then when you're done with college, then you go. But that's, you know, that's about it. So different from it's, I mean it's basically like the other American sports. Yeah, it's basically yeah. basketball and and football where the colleges are the kind of feeders. Does the hockey have minor leagues? Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Okay, I've and been trying to get into hockey for a couple of years with no success. With <laughs> hockey, it's kind of like some guys are good enough, like the top tier of the draft are good enough to just skip the minors, but like a lot of people still go to the minors for a bit. They, it's not the length of you're in the. In for baseball with the minors though you're not in Did the minors it, for like fucking five years. 
Do they have like one minor league team or multiple teams? Um, so there's one minor league team that each NHL team has a direct link with. Uh-huh. And then there's the ECHL. That, that that that's the AHL, the American Hockey League. And then the ECHL is like a different one. And it's sometimes there will be multiple teams that have agreements with one team. And like sometimes like you'll kind of send your players down there. And like so, like it's weird in hockey though because you'll sign a minor league deal and they won't necessarily be a part of the major organization. Mm. So like. Like, the minor league teams could sign their own players, and they have their own GMs, <laughs> but, like, the the NHL team would could just sign them from the minor league team, if that That's makes sense. That's interesting. So it's, yeah. it's almost like a mix between the G League and basketball yeah, and the, that's baseball's a better, minor league. Yeah. The, it's, like, the, somewhere the, in between the two. The G League is a good way to put it, where, like, your, like, your local G League team doesn't necessarily is responsible for every G League, like, is responsible for all the people who are going to the NBA. Some are just G League players. Mm. Okay. So hockey's interesting that way. Yeah, sounds. Um, pitcher of the Week is a right-handed pitcher by the name of Chengu Lim, and he allowed one run over six innings. He scattered five hits, he walked two, and he struck out eight. And Lim was drafted in 2011, right out of high school. Uh, he's the second player picked overall, and he immediately made his debut. And he had a pretty solid rookie year, uh, 446 ERA in 82.2 innings. Um, the problem is, though, is a lot of a lot of walks. He he walked 61 guys and he struck out 62. So at least the scales slightly tipped in the right direction, but not much. It's crazy to think about high school pitchers going straight to a professional league. Yeah. Even the good ones could barely get it over the plate half the time. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly, right? <laughs> he's a perfect example. Uh, he's a swingman and long reliever for the first couple of years that he was with them. And then at the end of the 2013 season, he started his military service. And he also tore his UCL and got Tommy John. And we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, about the possibility that guys kind of game the system to, to kill two birds with one stone. And, you know, it's not like you can intentionally shred your UCL or anything, but it does kind of seem coincidental here that right after he started his military service, then he tore it and had to get Tommy John. So, hmm. When I'm not an expert on the Tommy John recovery, but and I know you're in a cast for a little bit, but I th- I imagine you can do, like, normal people things after a couple – like, you're not going to pitch for 18 months, but you could do normal-ish things after a couple months, right? Yeah, I would assume. I mean, throwing is an ergonomically unnatural thing, but – Right, right, yeah. right. Doing normal stuff that is ergonomically good should be possible. One of my friends had it, and um, he said right at, like – the the time like immediately after when you're like had the surgery on your arm and I think I don't remember if he had another surgery alongside of it but he was like it was a disaster like it's so terrible <laughs> like <laughs> like like the like the the month or so after is like the worst and he he was like after that you're kind of like back being able to do normal things but your arm is still kind of messed up a little bit mm-hmm. like like you're not there a hundred percent but you could like be a normal person in society like right. Like, you're not, you don't have full range of your arm and full strength over it, obviously, but, right. like, it doesn't take a year for you to have, like, a functioning arm again. It's just... Right. It takes for, you a year and a half to get back to pitching at a 
professional level. Exactly. Yeah. Well, he came back uh, in 2016, and obviously there's a lot of rust. Um, he had to work through it because the team kind of needed him. Uh, they had some veterans leave uh, via free agency, so he was just kind of thrown into the fire there, and he's chugged along since then. Um, last couple of years, he's had ERAs around five, which is not great, but also in the context of the KBO, it's, you know, closer to a cliff end of an ERA, you know, between four and five here in the U.S. in Major League Baseball. Um, early in his career before the, the injuries, he was able to sit kind of low to mid-90s, but now he's more of a high 80s guy. And then he pairs it with, you know, a changeup, a big curveball. Neither one of them, you know, they're not really... Uh, particularly good pitches, that kind of fringy and, you know, not a great fastball and your secondaries are just kind of, eh, that, that's, that'll give you high ERAs. And finally now, we're gonna move over to Japan because the NPB season has finally started. And like we did with the CPBL and the KBO, we're gonna be adopting the most Mets-like team I don't know why we're we're doing that. We should really be picking the best team just in general so we could have <laughs> some some sports happiness, but we are I don't know. We just like suffering. Uh but in Japan, the most Mets like team would be the Occult Swallows. Uh they play in Tokyo, so like the Mets, they're in one of the bigger cities in the country. Well the biggest I should say. Is Tokyo the biggest city? I don't yes. know. Okay. Tokyo has like a, a twenty six million Oh, really? Wow, population. I didn't know Tokyo yeah. was that big. Yeah, Tokyo, I didn't realize it was that big either. It is kind of like Los Angeles, though, where it's like a, a giant megalopolis. Oh, so it's has, just like really poor yeah. planned, sprawling metropolis? Great, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's actually very well planned because, you know, everything it's, is... Yeah. yeah, it's Japan, exactly. But It'd be tougher for it to be more poorly planned than L.A. Yeah, I do not well, like yeah. L.A. <laughs> <laughs> um... Like the Mets, the Swallows are overshadowed by another team that plays in Tokyo, the Yumiere Giants, who are older and have a lot more success. You know, That's tough. Very, <laughs> very familiar sounding. Why? Um, it's the, literally Mets Yankees. Like, yeah. For the first, for the first decade of their entire existence, the Swallows didn't have a single season with a winning record. So uh-huh. that sounds familiar. Um, uh, Meiji Jingu Stadium, which is their home stadium, it opened in 1964, which is the same year that Shea Stadium opened. And when you think Shea Stadium, you think of pitchers, because the Mets have, Mets have been a very pitcher-strong organization. You know, you think Tom Seaver, obviously the best pitcher in Mets history, and the best pitcher in Swallows team history, excuse me, the best player in Swallows, Swallows team history, also happens to be a pitcher, Masayuchi Kaneda. He pitched uh, in the 1950s, uh, 1950 to 1969. He has a 400-298 record with a cumulative 234 ERA. So That's a lot of games. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> that is yeah. a lot of That's games. 400 and 298? Yep. A lot of innings. And it was the 50s, so same thing like how it was here in the U.S. You had pitchers pitching a lot more innings back then. Even so. Now, but, yes. Even so, that seems like a lot. Like, wait, wait a sec. <laughs> Cy Young, Fangraphs. How many decisions does Cy Young have? Da, 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 da. I can read. 511 and 316. So he's like, 
Okay, Cy Young had more. That's like 1920s era level decision yeah. numbers. He yeah. has he uh, Canada has a total of 5,526 innings <laughs> over the course of his 20 year career. Is that all? That's all. Um, let's see. Most of them most of them are about 300 to 350 innings. Here's a 400 inning season. Jeez, what? <laughs> That's so many. Is his arm to, held together by like? spit and duct tape at this point like interestingly in his 400 uh 400 inning season he had a 478 era which is not bad but his his strikeout rate was actually uh 7.9 per nine which is really high when you consider it was 1955 uh-huh and japanese players are more prone to not want to strike out because right. it's not culturally good to do so. But How yeah. many innings did you say it was for his career? Five thousand. Let me get back up here. Five thousand five hundred and twenty-six. He would be fourth in major league history. Mm. Zion has seven thousand. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Someone named Pud Galvin has six thousand. Ah, good old Pud Galvin. Pud Galvin. <laughs> he was almost five hundred for his career. Three sixty-four and three ten. With a robust K9 of 2.71. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that's all I wanted to look at. I wanted to see because I felt like it was high. And yeah, it's he would be one of the most used pitchers in Major League history. So yeah, jeez, that's nuts. not bad. Well, uh, so Swallows that went one and one this week. The season started on Friday, so and we played two games. Did they win uh, on opening day? No, they did not. They lost oh. to the Chinichi Dragons on not opening night. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that's what I was aiming at. Uh, so the hitter of the week is an infielder by the name of Tetsuo Yamada. He went three for eight with two homers, two RBIs, two walks, and a stolen base. He's real and good. He is basically, yeah, he is the Mike Chad of Japan. He is an unbelievably good offensive player. Defensively, he's kind of limited to just second base. You know, he could spot short every now and then for a little bit. But when you could hit like he can, you know, defense doesn't really matter. And he's not bad at second base, right? From what I understand. Yeah, like, no, he is. He's, like he's he's an, a fine second baseman. <laughs> right. He's not Wilmer Flores or Daniel Murphy. And yeah, like that. That, that that's how I always understood him. Is that like an average defender who's just like the best, one of the best hitters in the league. Mm-hmm. It, it was, disappoints uh, me how close his name is to Yamato, so I could make jokes about StarCraft and Battle Cruisers, but <laughs> oh well. <laughs> He was uh, Yakult's first-round draft in 2011. He came right out of high school. He was in their minor league system for a couple of years, uh, up and down. But he really broke out in 2014. He hit 324, 403, 539 with 29 homers and 15 stolen bases. And that was really just the beginning. That was like the low-water low mark. Uh, in 2015, he won the Central League MVP award. He hit... 329, 416, 610 with 38 homers and 34 stolen bases, uh, becoming the youngest player to ever have a 30-30 season in Japan. He was 21 years old. Jeez. <laughs> and he Is, was the that's nuts. first, yeah, first player since Kaz Matsui to have a 30-30 season period. And following year, he hit 26 homers and 30 stolen bases. So he almost did it again the very next year. Uh, he had kind of a damn year in 2017 because he was hurt. But then in 2018, he had a 30-30 season. And last year, he had a 30-30 season. 
And three of those 30, 30 years, uh, he had a batting average way over 300. And the one that he didn't, he still had a very solid 271 average. So dude is basically, the last five years, has been a guarantee almost to hit 300 with 30 homers and 30 stolen bases. So I, I, w- I thought I was about to say that Mike, Mike Trout didn't have a good age 21 season. No, it was his age 20 season that was bad. You want to hear Mike Trout's age 21-year-old season? Sure. 326, 399, 564, 30 homers, 49 steals, 10 war. Not bad. Only 10? <laughs> only 10. 10.1. <laughs> Get good. So this, so this guy literally is Mike Trout, but in Japan. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the Trout is more valuable, obviously, because of the center field defense. Right. Positive, right, positive center field as opposed to just kind of okay second base defense, but. And I mean, center field. Just yeah. yeah, it's more exactly. valuable no matter mm-hmm. how you slice it. And he's actually there's talk that he might be posted next year, or he's going to exercise his international uh, free agency option the year after. So there's a pretty good chance that he comes to the U.S. I would he'll imagine be, he'll be either 28 or 29, depending on which way he comes. So that's you know still a, a bit left in the tank for players nowadays. Physically and statistically, though, he does kind of remind me a little bit of Kaz Matsui. And obviously, Kaz Matsui didn't have a, a particularly great MLB career. It wasn't bad. You know, he didn't live up to the hype machine, but it wasn't terrible. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Yamada is is able to kind of break that uh, cloud hanging over him there. And then Pitcher of the Week is Yashihiro Ogawa, and he threw six innings and allowed two runs on six hits, no walks, and six strikeouts. And Ogawa is the ace of the Swallows. Eh, I turn the, I use that term kind of lightly because he's not that bad. He's not bad, but he's not, like, that great either. You know, he's, he's the number one starter, I guess, is the better term than an ace. Um, yeah, he's, he's an ace by uh, default. default. Yeah. yeah. He's been with them since 2012. Uh, he was the Central League Rookie of the Year in 2013. He posted a, a 293 ERA that year in 78 innings with 155 hits, 45 walks, and 135 strikeouts. And in the seven years that he's been with them, he has a cumulative 354 ERA in a little bit over a 1,000 innings. So it's, it's a dependable pitcher, but, you know... Game seven of the the World Series on the line. Are you going to be satisfied? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the stuff is kind of pedestrian. He has a high 80s fastball, tops out around 92, 93, and then a couple of solid secondary pitches, a cutter, slider, forkball, changeup. But what makes him effective and, and interesting are his mechanics. And basically during college, he got – I'm not sure if he was looking – for this specifically, or someone gave it to him as a recommendation or whatever, but he got a copy of Nolan Ryan's book, uh, Nolan Ryan's Pitching Bible, and he messed around with his mechanics, and he retooled them, and he basically made his delivery look like Nolan Ryan's. He's got the big leg kick, he really drops down, drives off the mound. Huh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, and it makes, you know, batters have a real tough time uh, picking up the ball. And it's worked for him for, like, pretty much, you know, a decade now, to the point that sports writers in Japan call him Ryan Ogawa. So, <laughs> you know. That's also a that's also a mechanical style that's 
not so popular anymore and it's particularly not in Japan to what I know. So I wonder if just doing something different yeah. to everyone else gives you just a subtle advantage there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Who's, who was that pitcher? He was on like the Pirates and he did like the old time. Yeah, yeah, I know if you're talking. Olendorf? Yeah, and was it was it? like relatively effective for a little bit because people were like, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> also, um, Paul Bird on the Cleveland Indians a couple of years. Well, probably like a decade plus at this point too. He also had the whole old school windmill uh-huh. thing uh-huh. going. It, was, yeah, I mean, was it it's, Ross it's, Olendorf? Yeah, it was Ross Olendorf. It's fun when you see guys that have kind of throwback stuff like that. And maybe it's not like the most efficient way to do things, but I mean, there's obvious advantages to it. Wonder why you don't see guys doing stuff like that, you know, more often, especially the kind of guys that are scuffling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, drop and drive is like, I mean, part of what makes DeGrom so effective is, if, is he gets that huge extension. So I wonder if this kind of Nolan Ryan, I mean, Tom Seaver had a similar kind of get really low and try, drive off the uh, rubber kind of style. I wonder if that helps in that regard for this guy or if it's still just a deception thing. I mean, the fastball isn't particularly great, so it it, it must be the deception. But mm-hmm. still, it works. You know, whatever works, works. Yeah, hard to argue. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Um, so when the season in Taiwan started and when the season in Korea started, we went into a little detail about the history of those leagues and people and stuff like that. So this week we're going to do the same with the MPB and the history of baseball in Japan. And outside of the U.S., I think, and maybe probably, I guess, Cuba – I think no other country has really embraced baseball with as much gusto as Japan has. Um, it was introduced to the country in the late 1860s or early 1870s. Around this time, Japan was kind of entering into a period of rapid industrialization, the Meiji Restoration, and they wanted to become a, a quote-unquote modern nation. So Emperor Meiji ordered... All aspects of Japanese society should become modernized, and that was facilitated by getting bureaucrats and technocrats from the United States and Europe to come to the country and teach Japanese people how to reform and to send Japanese people abroad to learn as well. So one of the many uh, experts that went to Japan was an English teacher by the name of Horace Wilson, and he is widely credited as the father of baseball. In Japan, he's actually in there. He's in the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame. 
Um, he was an English teacher at Kaisei Academy in Tokyo, and he introduced baseball to his students as just kind of a way to get them to, you know, exercise and, and loosen up a bit. And baseball was popular with other U.S. Uh, expats and nationals that were teaching there. So it kind of caught on with the Japanese people that were exposed to it. And it really captured the soul of Japan in 1896 when a team from Ichiko High School in Tokyo, they beat the team from the Yokohama County and Athletic Club, Country and Athletic Club, excuse me. And the, the reason why that was such a big deal is because the high school team, obviously, they were local high school kids. And the, the country club was made of mostly foreigners. So the locals beat the foreigners at their own game. And it's important to look at that in the context of the times. Japan, Japan was concerned with proving themselves to the rest of the world that they were a modern nation. Um, you know, with, with a lot of the more conservative aspects of, of their society saying that the Japanese were not just equivalent, but were superior, and beating the Americans at their own game, that was like a feather in their cap, you know? So, from like the 20th century on, baseball became real big in high school and college. Um, Waseda University and Keio University, two very large high, uh, uh, colleges there, the games were, you know, the the intensity of those games was like Florida State and Miami or Army, Navy, like that kind of really big, uh, dedicated following and intense games. Uh, Koshien, the high school baseball tournament that started around the time too, that's still a very major thing in Japan. And in, in, in some places it's even more popular than organized baseball because it's all amateur young players. So it's very like romanticized. And the first professional league started in 1920, but it folded pretty quickly. And then a second attempt at a professional league started in 1934, and this one was a lot more successful. And one of the major reasons why was because in 1934, the MLB organized a barnstorming tour of Japan, and some of the biggest stars of the day went over. Uh, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Charlie Gerringer, Jimmy Fox, Lefty Gomez... Lefty O'Doul, Connie Mack, they're all actually AL guys because the NL banned its players from going for whatever reason. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are like the biggest stars of the uh, of baseball, really, of the day. Mo Berg was also there, but he was spying, <laughs> taking <laughs> taking pictures and taping uh, Japanese military installations for the OSS. So he's not a star, but a fun case anyway. And the Americans won all the 18 games that they played. They outscored the Japanese 181 runs to 36. Whoa. <laughs> Yikes. But the, the, the tour, um, the event, it was just very profitable. Organizers saw that a professional league was possible. So that's uh, when the predecessor to the NPB began, and, and right after that 34 barnstorming tour. Uh, the Japanese team, which had 11 future members of their Hall of Fame, um, they basically stayed together and they became the Omiuri Giants. Well, that's not fair. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's like Mets Yankees. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, by far the most impressive of all those players on that team was an 18-year-old uh, right-handed pitcher. 
nicknamed A.G. Sauramora, and he struck out Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Jimmy Fox consecutively. So that is uh, pretty good. Pretty, yeah, not, pretty, pretty good. Not bad. <laughs> so obviously World War II had a uh, major impact on Japan. And the Japanese Baseball League that had been founded, it kind of struggled along for the next couple of years. It finally disbanded in 1949, and then it reformed in 1950 as Nippon Professional Baseball, the modern-day NPB. So the NPB is divided into two leagues. There's the Central League and the Pacific League. And the main difference is that just like here in the U.S., one league uses the DH and the other doesn't. Central League doesn't use it, and the Pacific League does use it. There are six teams in each league. The Central League is currently made up of the Chinichi Dragons, the Hanshin Tigers, the Hiroshima Toyo Carp, the Occult Swallows, the DNA Bay Stars, and the Yomiuri Giants. And the Pacific League is currently made up of the Chiba Lot Marines, the Fukuoka Softbank Hawks, the Nippon Ham Fighters, Oryx Buffaloes, the Cebu Lions, and the Rakuten Golden Eagles. So some names to know. Um, pitchers first. Obviously, there's Eiji Sawamura, who I mentioned before. He's basically the Cy Young of Japan. Um, he was the guy during the formative years of the sport. And he died in World War II when um, his boat got torpedoed. Another great from that time was a Russian pitcher by the name of Victor Starfin. And he was a, a really good amateur player. And his his immigration status as a Russian was was actually used to blackmail him and force him to play for the Omiuri Giants because his Jesus. his yeah his his father was an officer in the Tsar's army and they fled to Japan you know when the Re- Russian Revolution took place so the Omiuri Giants um, basically threatened to have him uh, have him and the family sent back to the Soviet Union if they didn't. Uh, if if Victor didn't agree to play with them, so I think that's about like if I made a list of the stories I expected you to tell, <laughs> that's almost certainly at the bottom. <laughs> Family who fr- who fled Soviet Russia was forced had a son who was forced to play in the in the baseball league because of blackmail was not what I expected when I sat yeah. down to record that's, this podcast. Uh, certainly <laughs> something. See, he wanted to go to college, but because of immigration laws, whatever, there was it was more difficult for him as a uh, foreigner. And the guy that owned the Giants, he saw him play as an amateur, and he said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Just goes to show that uh, there are unscrupulous ownership groups everywhere. Um, the aforementioned Masaichi Canada is another all-time great. His 400 wins are the most. Um, he has 4,490 strikeouts, are also the most. And he claims that he had a 100-mile fastball, and there's absolutely no way to verify that, so you always got to hand it to the dudes that can self-promote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the hitting side, um, obviously there's Sadaharu O. He is the Babe Ruth of Japan. Um, in over 3,000, a little under 3,000 games. He had a cumulative 301, 446, 634 batting line, and 868 home runs, which is the record. And he also had the single season home run record of 55. And that stood for basically 60 years until Vladimir Ballantien hit 60 in 2013. 
Weren't, wasn't there like that like a big controversy where people basically stopped pitching to him in the last couple months of the season? Yeah, there have been a couple of other guys. Tuffy Rhodes is one. Alex Cabrera is another that went on to play in Japan and, and you know, were real big sluggers. And they approached and tied O's record. But other pitchers basically in the you know the last couple of days of the season just didn't pitch to him they just walked him so that he would not be able to pass so they wouldn't be able to pass um O's record Valentin he had he he was already up to you know 55 whatever at the beginning of September and there just was not you know it it just was basically a a given at that point because you're not going to have every single pitcher from every single team walk a guy for literally a month straight you know yeah. so well if you think uh, about <laughs> he has a thousand on base percentage with no batting average for a month it's like that it's like that SB Nation bit about uh uh Babe, uh no not Babe, Barry Bonds without a bat yeah <laughs> mm. which if you have not watched is insane and you should yeah, go watch it's it very it's good. incredible mm-hmm. Um, another great is uh, Shigeo Nagashima, who is a third baseman from the 60s and 70s. He won five MVPs, six batting titles, and he is known as one of the best defensive third basemen in league history. There's Isao Harimoto, who is an outfielder from the 60s and 70s. He is the only player in Japan to have over 3,000 hits. There's uh, Yutaka Fukumoto, who is a center fielder from the 70s and 80s. He has the cumulative stolen base record. He stole 1,065 bases over the course of his career, and that's almost 500 more than the next guy. Wow. So not bad. And then he also has the single season record of 106 there. Did you say there's only one person to have 3,000 hits in Japan? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, I'm surprised too. That's a long. It has a. There's a big history of Japanese baseball. To only have one guy do it's surprising. I mean, I guess they don't count Ichiro because. Right. I mean, I I think if Ichiro had stayed, there's no doubt that he wouldn't. I mean, that's still crazy that in basically the entire history of NPB, there's been only two players that were good enough to get to 3,000 hits, basically. Yeah, like, that's I mean, essentially what yeah. we're saying. Huh. I don't know. I, I don't know why that's that's shocking to me for some reason. You you would just think that a dude would get it from longevity, like yeah, for playing for twenty years, he would he would fall ass backwards into three thousand hits, like some <laughs> guys do. How many hits does Ichiro have? Let me actually look this up real quick. While you're doing that, the final guy is Hiromitsu Okai. He was an infielder from the eighties and nineties. He's uh, a three-time Triple Crown winner, and he was basically loved by the people, but hated, hated, hated by the media because he <laughs> just he was a kind of uh, Shinjo in a way. He just didn't care, so he wouldn't practice hard. He was obviously a talented player, but you know he wouldn't he he wouldn't try, and he would still succeed. If there's one thing practice. that uh, there's one thing that sports writers love, it is when guys have that kind of attitude. Yeah. Ichiro, no matter where had, you are. Ichiro had 12, 1,270 hits in Japan. Mm. How many and seasons? Nine seasons. Oh yeah, he would have. 
That now nine seasons, two of which are at eighteen and nineteen, when he had ninety nine and sixty seven plate appearances, respectively. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like he, he definitely would have cruised to four thousand. Oh, yeah. Like he racked up three thousand in the U.S. too. Dude's too yeah. good. Yeah. Obviously, you know, contemporarily, yeah, there's Ichiro, um, Hideki Matsui, who was an All Star caliber player there. Um, who did he play for? Did he play for the Giants? Yes. Um, Daisuke, he didn't live up to the hype here, but obviously, you know, he was really good in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, Yu Darvish, Matsuhiro Takanaka, they were great there, and they've had flashes of being great here too, but at the very minimum, they've kind of been solid pitchers. Uh, Shohei Otani, he was a star there, and he's a star here now too, so. Mm-hmm. We don't really live in the days anymore where players were just kind of coming over uh, to play in the MLB at the end of their careers, you know, uh, mid to late 30s, guys that have already had long careers and just wanted to give it a try. You know, mm-hmm. we're, yeah. we're in the era now where guys are coming over in their peaks. So that old trope that, you know, Japanese players just aren't good, it's kind of a, a thing of the past, I would hope, for most people at this point. Um, the overall quality of... Play is lower in Japan in the, in the MPB than it is here. Most people call it quadruple A. Uh, I think that's a pretty fair explanation, but I think it's also a little simple because the style of play is also just different in Japan than it is here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, ton of small ball. Right, that's kind of why in like international competitions they usually kick everyone's butt because just their concept of like team harmony and wah and just doing what is best for the team even at the expense of yourself or your your own at bat is such a big thing so you know if that means that the the you know carlos delgado is bunting then carlos delgado is going to be bunting but if it helps the team it helps the team never bunt (laughs) sorry (laughs) though when i was watching mpb a lot there'd be like the shortstop who bats ninth because I was watching the Pacific League because I'm sure we'll talk about how hard it is to watch the Central League. But, um, like, they'd be the shortstop who hits, like, 200 and is a great defender, and he bunts, like, every at-bat. Always. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, wow, that's that's so – that's such a concept that's been eradicated here. Like, mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's jarring to see in, like, 2019, 2020 to see a dude just – Dropping down a bunt almost every time he gets up to move the runner over to second for the top of the lineup. I wonder how the math works out because if you do the run expectancy, there is like a level of hitter at which point bunting does make sense. And honestly, and it might be right around hitting 200. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd rather that guy hit and bunt and then hit into a double play or something. And, mm-hmm. It serves its it, it serves its purpose. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, Japan is is outside of the MLB uh, the best quality baseball going on today. Um, kind of in order, I guess you would have MLB at the top, then you'd have NPB in Japan underneath that, and the KBO in Korea underneath that, and then the CPBL in Taiwan underneath that. And you also have Cuba with the Serie Nacional, and that kind of is a 
a weird one to kind of fit in because the 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 level of of talent disparity there is very very wide because of just it is technically amateur baseball so you know if you're in a team uh you know if you're playing with with only a few exceptions but if you're playing for you know let's say the Brooklyn team all of your players have to be from Brooklyn and live in Brooklyn if oh, you're playing I didn't know that yeah if you're playing for the Queens team all of your players have to be from Queens you know so a city like Havana, which is much larger and has more people to draw from, it's going yeah. to be a, a better team, which is why the Industriales in Havana are the best team in Cuba. And then you have, you know, a bunch of, of, of other teams that are drawing from much smaller population base that, yeah, that makes sense. You, know, you only can do what you can. So yeah, that's Cuba great. Really. Like you get like triple <laughs> A teams basically playing against single A teams. Yeah, I mean Cuba is a very hard to place because of that. I mean you'll have guys, you know, Jose Abreu's and and guys that come over and, and the stars, Cespedes and everybody else that's come and, and had a pretty solid career in the major leagues and you have guys that come and, and just are not good. <laughs> yeah. Rusny Castillo, uh that guy in for the Diamondbacks that shortstop that the Dodgers gave all that money two years ago. I forgot about the Dodgers one. Arua Verena, I believe. Arua yeah. Verena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, uh, what's his it? Castillo, that was a kind of special case. Yeah, that's a weird one because money and... The mon- right. I mean, maybe he could be better than he actually is. There. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of getting screwed by the, yeah. his, his own financial situation. Yeah. He's getting screwed by the owners being... Well, I, I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. Objectively, like it's not worth paying him seventeen million dollars. So, of the things the owners do that I have an issue with, that's not particularly high on the list. But yeah, such a crappy situation to be in. I'll see. Oh, we did mention Puig, of course. Yeah, love me some Puig, even if he's not actually that good. And he is still a free agent technically, so he could. Pop up in Japan, or I mean, look, look if the Mets if he pops up in Japan, that would be <laughs> hysterical. Whatever uh, team he's on, <laughs> I feel like though that that, that that I mean the season already started, uh, yeah, so that, if that there's probably sailed. Yeah, but look, if there, the Mets needed another corner outfielder and just needed like a, a, a league average bat, I'd be all aboard the Asiel Puig trade. He mm-hmm. just doesn't fit this roster at all. Unfortunately, it makes, it, it makes no sense. I love, I, mean, I love Yasiel. Hear me out. Uh-huh. Make him catch. Huh. He has the arm. <laughs> he for has it. the arm. Exactly. He has a great arm. Could he frame? Is he worse than Wilson Ramos behind the plate? Oh, he might be. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one way to find out, and it's going to be 50 games if we have it. So, look, look. <laughs> if if there was a free agent that was actually willing to try this. And they would be willing to, like, come into camp for a couple days so I could make sure it wouldn't be, like, a uh, Titanic-level disaster. Like, hey, come into camp for a couple days. We're going to pitch to you a little bit and make sure you can, you know, catch the ball. You won't actually, like, get really hurt. Right, right. Let's Let's make sure that this is somewhat viable and if you and if it's viable fuck it we'll give you 10 million dollars to get or prorated whatever to catch for 50 games screw it it'll be fun 
can can Cespedes catch on his ankles? I don't know. Oh, oh that's oh. probably a really bad idea. Yeah, yeah. With, <laughs> like like I'm all for thro- like making the joke for throwing people behind the plate, but I would actually fear for his safety mm-hmm. <laughs> with how bad his his legs are. I mean, I'm honestly impressed that Ramos can still catch. I mean, I, and I'm well, obviously not a professional athlete, nor am I anywhere close to the level of athlete Wilson Ramos is. But like, I still can't. I mean, I used to catch when I played baseball, and I still can't really get into a catcher squat on my ACL knee. Like, I can't bend it. Um, I don't know what the word is. Like, I can't bend that far back. So I, I'm shocked that Ramos is able to get back there with with his his knee history there. And and like he he was healthy last year. It's not yeah. like he was mm-hmm. on and off the, the IL. Like he was he played a One stint for something. Maybe I'm gonna right. check how many games he played right now. Cespedes is not catching. <laughs> he played 141. So wow. he wasn't hurt. You're right. That was the most he's ever played in a season. I mean, look, Puig's an insane athlete. Yes. Uh, I'd, I'd pay money to see him catch. So should the Mets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like Nemo would be a good sport about it. Oh, and Dude, if you could tell Nimmo to literally run through a brick wall, he'd like point to the sky, smile, and then run through it because that's just what he does. Yeah, so that is baseball in Japan, and obviously we hope that the swallows do well. They probably are not though. <laughs> oh, probably the not. Te- the team, you know, has has Yamada, and that really. Is it? Um, yeah, so they're, they're, they're basically they're the good. angels. You could say that too. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, they're they're the angels with the Mets crosstown rival situation because like the Dodgers and the Angels are like a weird. Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's like, not really a, like a like a faux rivalry thing. Right. In, in like, terms in terms of city rivalry, they're the Mets, but in terms of roster construction, yeah, they're the angels. Yeah, but imagine if Mike Trout posted his ability to go international and be a free agent in two years. <laughs> that's that's where they're at. So, <laughs> great, great. And also, I forgot to mention. Uh, this will load up quickly here. The the roster, the asides for um, Yamada, some of the other notable players on the Swallows. Their manager is Shingo Takatsu, who was a Mets huh. reliever for a very quick minute. Oh yeah. I believe he was the first Japanese player on the Mets period. Believe that he predated Shinjo. Um a lot of people will be will be happy to know that Ryota Irigashi is in the bullpen. <laughs> oh I loved Irigashi. I, I mean I I'm a sucker for weird pitches. I mean not weird pitches, but pitches that aren't super common. I love the splitter good splitter mm-hmm. dudes. Super yeah. bad for your arm apparently, but yeah, it messes with your elbow real bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Former Mets prospect Matt Koch is on their roster. KOCH, right? Yes. They traded him to the Diamondbacks for something at some point. And then mm-hmm. What the hell did they trade him for? That Was he in the way. Reed trade? He might have been. Maybe yeah, I think so. Because Reed was in Arizona for a while. Yeah, because Reed was on the White Sox and then, let's see, Addison Reed. Yep. Matt Koch and Miller Diaz. Yep. Mm. Yep. Good call. I would not have remembered that. I uh, I, I remembered it because I remember people like Matt Koch. Why? 
why'd they do that? And I was like, what? Come on, dude. No. <laughs> anyone just, who's anyone who's saying that has never seen Mac Opitz. I know. Yeah, I was I was surprised at the at the, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at people being. I was like, it's Addison Reed for free. This is like the same people complaining about trading Casey Meisner, which hey, is like I, I, I like Casey Meisner. But. Were you? I mean, I was complaining about that trade because I thought Tyler Clifford. I still think Tyler Clifford is just not good, but that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah, no, I like Meisner more than any of the people they traded. At sure, I still yeah. trade him for a good reliever and a contending yes, no, piece I, with no hesitation. Sure, that's fair. That was a trade where you're getting a certified major leaguer back for a guy that has just kind of been struggling in the low minors, so it's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Don't cry um, over spilled Coke. Wait. Yeah. Uh, Shit. No. <laughs> uh, Gabriel Inoa is also on the Swallows. What? He is? All right, mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, well, we were talking about their ace before. Yeah, that's I think, true. I think we found their new ace. That might be the case. <laughs> um, Kansas City great Alcides Escobar. Uh, screw him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that is that is their uh, team in a nutshell. All of the oh, and and uh, Nori Aoki, Aoki, excuse me. Oh, he was always a fun little player. Yeah, he was a very solid complimentary dude. I, I I do want to say Ballantine was on the Swallows when he set the record. I don't, I yes. don't remember if you mentioned that. He he was on the Swallows. He left in free agency this past winter, so we just missed. Yeah, he was there forever, like yeah. like a decade or something. Yeah, I think 2010 to 2019. Yeah, something like that. So they they were really like watch these two players hit baseballs. I mean that's also very Metsian in that instead of making your team actually good, you just bring in a sideshow to to goose revenue. <laughs> so to, to to hit dingers and sell. Yeah, 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 exactly. Last thing's Millage was on the Swallows too. Oh Christ! He had a pretty good career in Japan. He retired a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, at this point, it's not a couple of years. It's, yeah, it was a while like ago now. 2014, probably closer to 2015. And he's he does uh, he does some good work in Florida as a uh, coach for underprivileged kids, teaching them baseball and oh, cool. letting them use yeah, facilities. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. the Mets had, like, F. Mart, Gomez, and Millage. He was like, yeah, it's our outfield of the future. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, about that. Big Prospects, ones. baby. Yep, yep, yep. All right, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Swiper. Lucas is at Elvlahus343. And Thomas is at said Metseason SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review them. And of course, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs>